square fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome once again to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Steve Fielder here, coming to you from the sauna in central west Florida, about two miles from the Gulf of Mexico, where the temperature there is a very tepid 90 degrees in the water. (laughs) We've had some 100-degree days down here in Florida, but... uh, Thank God for that guy that invented uh, air conditioning. I've got that West Virginia air conditioning. I got a big chunk of ice and in a bucket here, and I got a fan blowing that uh, on me, and it feels pretty good. So I guess we'll get through this podcast uh, without uh, without drowning in in sweat. But uh, it's real good today to have my friend. Uh, and he is uh, becoming a very good friend, I'm thankful to say, uh, from the great state of Pennsylvania. Corey Groover is with us today. What have you been up to, Corey? Hi, Steve. I'm glad to be back here with you. Uh, haven't been up to a whole lot, but I will say if you get any more friends that are from Pennsylvania, you're probably going to have to move here. Well, you know, there's so many things that I like about the state of Pennsylvania, really. Uh, you know, back when I was lived in West Virginia, and we, of course, are Mountaineer fans. You know, WVU there, and all. We weren't too, too uh, uh, enamored by Penn State or Pitt or <laughs> some of those schools up there. But I, uh, anyway. Uh, but I do love the state of Pennsylvania. You really do, Corey. Uh, there's a lot of things I like to do up there. You know, the coon hunting is good. Uh, there's a lot of bear up there, although they, well, they don't let you run them with hounds. It's just like down here in Florida. Now we can't run them with hounds here, but one of the things that I really would enjoy doing and living in Pennsylvania would be the fly fishing for trout. I mean, you've got good trout fishing, uh, pretty much all over that state. And, uh, so anyway, yeah, that'd be all right. I could be a Keystone cop, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you'll have to come up and chase some brookies here sometimes. Oh, yeah, brook trout. That was my dad and I, uh, our Saturday afternoon uh, memories that I'll never forget were going trout fishing on the little native brook trout streams in the mountains in West Virginia. I'd get up on Saturday morning. I'd want to go. I'd say, Dad, let's go. Let's go fishing. Let's go. Well, we've got to hoe the garden. <laughs> you got to do that trimming around the house there. We didn't have weed eaters then. They just had a clipper that I told you to do last week. And um, <laughs> once we get the work done around here, we'll go fishing. And uh, we weren't very fancy with it. We used garden hackle. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but those were those red wiggler worms that we dug up in the garden. And uh, uh, those brookies, man, <laughs> you you flipped that worm down through that run one time, and if it didn't get immediately devoured, there was no fish in there. <laughs> you may as well just move on. Great memories, yeah, we were, Corey. We, we were always salmon egg fishermen. We always oh, yeah. 
with salmon eggs. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, those things are still deadly. Uh, got some buddies down in Virginia that I fish with occasionally when I go to my brothers. And, and they, you know, they call themselves fly fishermen, but when you get, you know, catch back up with them at the end of the day they got some nice trout and they've caught them on some kind of super duper salmon egg (laughs) (laughs) Uh, good stuff well i know and i've been watching on uh, social media that you've got a plot and we talked about that uh before and i'm not going to steal your thunder uh I think you had kind of a little excitement there recently with her and your little feist dog or whatever you've got there. You've got some kind of little brand X there that you're you're <laughs> hunting. What well, what's been going on? Yeah, so um I did I did uh just happen to come come across a young plot female here uh you know, right around the time that we recorded our last podcast together. And uh, at that point in time, uh, she was as green as grass. She hadn't had anything done with her. And uh, she pretty much just got flopped down into my lap. And I decided I was going to try her out and see what we could do with her. And I'll tell you what, Steve, I've been very impressed with everything I've seen. Uh, we've, uh, we haven't done a whole lot of work with her yet. Uh, but it's obvious that she's naturally gamey and she's taught herself to tree a lot of different critters right now. Uh, one of her favorites being squirrels. She's, mm-hmm. she's running and treeing squirrels pretty religiously. Uh, yeah. she, she has run across a couple of daytime coons and treed them, um, put a couple in holes and banks or mm-hmm. whatever. But, uh, her, her crowning achievement, uh, that just happened here the other day was she treed herself. A Pennsylvania black bear. <laughs> yeah, well, you, uh, she had some help on that, didn't she? Or yeah, yeah. So we uh, we have a, a little dog here that we call Fang, and she is actually a cross between a uh, Norwegian elk hound and a blue tip coon hound. And mm. I picked her up uh, from an Amishman that lives here, uh, not too far away from my house, and. I just thought it was an interesting cross, and I wanted to I wanted to try it out for for squirrel hunting specifically. And it turns out that Fang has has become a lot more than just uh, your average squirrel dog. She's she's a good family dog. Uh, she's a good yard dog. She good watch dog. But uh, yeah, they they tag team that that black bear together and and did an excellent job on it. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, back to the plot. uh, And of course, you know, I don't know if you're a dog lover and I know you are. And as I am, it doesn't matter what the dog's doing. If I mean, you know, what breed he is or how it's bred or anything else, if it's doing work and, and it's bringing you enjoyment, you know, and, and I'm sure at my stage in life, I could enjoy Fang just as much, you know, as anything else. <laughs> but uh, it seems like on this plot deal, you kind of hit the hit the nail on the head with her. She's uh, she, she's probably doing a little more than you expected, isn't she? Yeah. So that that's kind of been uh, what's taken me aback a little bit because I don't have that much experience 
with plot hounds specifically. She she's the first plot hound that I've ever owned. I, I have worked with several plots, uh, both in uh, the night hunt and the bench show arenas, but uh, I've never owned one myself. And Steve, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. Um, you know the whole the whole experience with the black bear was was kind of unique because in Pennsylvania we're loaded with black bears, but but in the western part of the state here uh, we're very urbanized and there's a lot of agriculture, so uh, mm-hmm. you generally don't see black bears in, in a lot of numbers. Uh, yeah. Generally, they're they're few and far between, but you will hear of guys uh, treeing them at night with their dogs on on very rare occasions. Uh, this particular bear uh, was kind of wreaking havoc around our neighborhood just prior to uh, the situation that I got myself into with the dogs that, that led to us treeing the bear. Um, and I just happened to take my dogs out for a walk, you know, later in the week there after the bear had kind of gone through and, and done some damage to some beehives and some garbage cans in the neighborhood. And, uh, mm. uh I just happened to cross paths with the bear and my dogs just did what they apparently do naturally. And they put that thing in a tree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, but, what, yeah. but what I wanted to say, Steve is uh, what impressed me the most. And I think what's made me a connoisseur of plot hounds from here on out uh, was after the bear was treed, the bear didn't go up very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bear, the bear went to the first Y in that in, in this large oak tree that it could get to to get away from the dogs, and it turned around. And uh, by the time I was looking at the bear, the bear was trying to come back down the tree, and oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and just in that in that fleeting moment there, um, I got to see this little dog, this little plot hound, bear down, grip into that tree. And show me just how much grit she had. And she just kept that bear up there. And had she not <laughs> done that, we may have had a little bit more of an exciting situation mm-hmm. play out there than what we did. Um, so just that little window of opportunity to see the grit that these dogs are bred yeah. with was amazing to yeah. me. And, and I'll forever love plot hounds for that. Well, they are that for sure, and they always have been. And back in the early days of the registry, because they were, you know, known to be big game dogs, they got a reputation of being mean, you know, and and rough with other dogs. And, you know, that was undeserved. Uh, They weren't any more that way than anything else. But, you know, it, it that was just the uh, stereotype, you know, that that dog is, well, I guess they were you know, brindle-colored and, you know, you can make the association from brindle to pit bulls, although there's another uh, stereotype that's absolutely wrong, uh, sure. you know. But for some reason, if it's brindle, it's thought to be aggressive. And being aggressive on game is a whole lot different uh, uh, animal than being aggressive with people or other dogs or whatever. But, yeah, that plot grit, I, I, you bring to mind, we had a, 
uh, plop female that we bred uh, named Brandy. And Brand, it was unfortunate for Brandy. She got hit by a vehicle while crossing a road running a bear. And it broke her back leg, and it scared her, and she ran away. And we didn't have tracking collars in those days. And it was several weeks before we found her. And she had been existing on hog feet. She would, was uh, hanging out in an old barn. And uh, uh, she was just fat as she could be when we finally found her. But she was gritty, extremely gritty. And I believe this incident probably was before she got hurt. But uh, we had treated a bear. There was snow on the ground. Uh, The guy was supposed to shoot the bear, a younger fella. He shot and missed. The bear came right down the tree. And you know how they'll back down and get almost to the ground and they'll leap off the off the side of the tree usually go down the the downhill side well when this bear did that brandy just grabbed it right by the butt <laughs> and, and i could see this just like it was yesterday she was hanging on to that bear and <laughs> I guess it, it kind of reminded me when you tie tin cans on somebody's car. I know cars nowadays don't have bumpers, but back in the day when someone got married, they tied tin, strung tin cans off the bumper. Well, that's what she looked like. She was just flopping, bouncing off the ground, but she wouldn't turn loose. She would not turn loose to the end of the bear. And the, they got out of sight down over the hill. And, of course, eventually the bear did get away from her, or at least loose from her. But that kind of tenacity and grit, you know. And and another little story about a friend of mine up in northwest Wisconsin, Chad Barth, had a dog, a puppy that I sold him. He called him Trigger. I told him, I said, you got confused. This is not a horse. This is a dog. But he named him Trigger. And uh, one time he grabbed a bear coming down. The bear went back up, went about 30 feet, Chad said, with Trigger hanging on to his backside. And finally, the dog let go, and and Chad was able to break his fall. But he said it felt like it, that it jerked both my arms out of socket when <laughs> when I caught him in a basket catch, you know, at the bottom of the tree. So, well, you, you used a good word there, Steve, tenacity. So, uh, tenacity is what is, is a better word than grit to me when describing what exactly you witness when you see a plot hound in action. Um, you know, that might be a good term to use from a hunting perspective, but tenacity is a very good word to use, you know, to, Mm -hmm. to describe it to the general public. And, you know, in all the experience I've had with tree dogs over the years, um, I can't say that I have seen that outside of the feist dogs, believe it or not. And that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense because they're an actual terrier breed. Right. So I have a lot of respect for dogs like that. And you do see that in other breeds. But, you know, to see it play out naturally in yeah. a young dog like that is, is just remarkable. Yeah. And, and using your terrier example there you know the little dogs don't know they're small you know sure. that they that doesn't enter into the picture for them 
And, you know, there's an old saying, and you've probably heard, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And, uh, you know, and that, and I've seen some amazing things with these yak terriers and different terrier breeds and so forth, you know, with, uh, on hogs and all that dogs, uh, when that, that they get that blood in their eyes, so to speak on wild game, uh, it's caution to the wind. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Honestly, I can, you know, I, I don't want to romanticize the story of my experience any more than, than what I may have already. But, uh, you know, it's really interesting because those dogs were, they had blood in their eyes when they were looking at that bear. But after a while, that bear decided he wasn't going anywhere. And he, and he climbed up into that, this big oak tree. Mm-hmm. And he actually laid out on a big limb up there like a coon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. His feet were dangling down, and he was drooling and everything. And yeah. and you know what? It, it was like after after the threat was gone, or after the game had had disappeared from sight, it almost seemed like the dogs calmed down after that. And yeah, they, and they kind of lost interest. You know. Mm, I got you. Well, oh. the um, the plot dog has been a dog that I've loved since I was a kid, but that's what the breed that my dad introduced me to. You know, that was our first registered breed, and I had never really seen a plot, and I was really fascinated. Uh, I think I was, let's see, that was 50, I was eight years old when my dad brought this dog home, and uh, she just fascinated me from the very start, you know, and it's just been a breed that I've felt very close to and i know the guys out there that are walker men or english men or blue tickers or whatever you feel the same way about your breed i'm sure uh we just kind of seem to pick one you know it's like a, a brand of vehicle or you know the old blonde versus redhead versus brunette i guess you know we all have our preferences and uh but yeah, the plot breed's been been fun. I'm glad you're having fun with her. Is she showing any any ability to trail to to uh, scent trail and locate off scent? Yeah, so that's one that's one attribute I would I would kind of uh, push her way is she seems to be very track minded. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very good about throwing her nose to the wind or up in the air. Um, to try and delineate where scent's coming from. Uh, and, and, and mind you, a lot of this has just been my observation during the day uh, with various types of game. Um, but, you know, obviously these sorts of things translate the same way in the dark. And oh, yeah. I'm, I'm very impressed with what I've seen from her. Um, she's, not, she's not looking to get treed unless she or something's there. And that that's almost a rare trait nowadays, I think. You know, I've, I've trained a lot of young dogs and, you know, especially some in the walker breed. And and I would say that he would be hard-pressed to find something like that in the walker breed, you know? Well, I know we're struggling right now with a young walker female. She has – she's trailing and she's hunting, but – and it gets down to the core of it. She's just immature for mm-hmm. a year old she's a year old but she's very immature you know yes. and uh 
Uh, you know, some of them mature very quickly. Um, one of my favorite plots was a dog I had while I was at UKC, and uh, his name was Roper. And uh, Ed Mead, the blue tick man. Did you meet Ed while you were at UKC? Yeah, I sure did. I, I actually got to hunt a lot with Ed. Uh, he was, he had, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the blue tick he had up there at the time. Jet 10. Oh, was, yeah. And he had a young man named Brett Norman handling that dog for him at the time. And we, we, we went hunting quite a bit and treated a lot of coons. Yeah. Well, Ed was a good friend and, uh, he, you know, was notorious for his pup training uh, abilities and getting puppies started at very early ages. And uh, I had this plot that my brother, uh, we had raised the litter in Virginia. I was working, of course, in Michigan. And and so Roper really got, he didn't get introduced to any kind of training until he was about seven months old. And I, when I brought him to Michigan, I took him over to Ed's. And, um, oh, he had him tree and coons just right away, you mm -hmm. know, and, uh, and he, he told me, he said, that was one of the easiest pups I ever started. I said, well, maybe it was because he was a lot older. You started him about seven weeks, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that's true. That's what Ed liked. To uh, oh, I know. It's great. And, uh, so many stories, but the first time I hunted with Ed Mead was in the Michigan State Championship, and I judged the cast that night out of the Bellevue Club, and uh, Ed was hunting Jet 4. So that shows you how, uh, you know, and he won the cast, actually. And uh, so it was uh, a long-time friendship, and I was really saddened, of course, to hear when Ed passed on and— uh, uh, I get that a lot nowadays. Uh, when you get to be my age, you're, at, <laughs> you're uh, you look at the obituary in the morning to see if you're in it or not. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that. But no, well, you got to laugh at it. It's life, you know, and it it is what it is. But uh, well, Corey, uh, yeah, it, I'm glad to see that you've got a plot. Uh, we're few. We're like the Marines. We're the few, the proud. You know? <laughs> and uh, but uh, there's a lot of great people in the plot breed, and and there's a few. You know, I, I one of the great, the biggest frustrations that I have in this hound world that I've been in for all these years is guys will talk until they're blue in the face about how much they want to promote their breed and how much they want to do to improve their breed. And when they make a cross, I'm only doing this to improve the breed. And that's great. That's noble. That's admirable. But the first thing, chance they get, and especially since uh, Al Gore invented the Internet, <laughs> we they jump on somebody like a chicken on a June bug, as we say in the South. The first time somebody, you know, puts a dog up before the public or whatever, man, the wolves come out, the fangs come out, and they start, you know, uh, attacking. No, we can't do that. 
And I don't know why that's inherent in hound hunting, but it's there. It's something we need to weed out. It's probably been there since the beginning of time. But, man, (laughs) if we really want to support the breed, we should be excited anytime we see something somebody do something with a dog from our chosen breed you know yeah. and, and should that should carry over to the other breeds as well but especially in our own breed you know so i'm going to get off the soapbox but that's been a pet peeve of mine <laughs> for a long time why can't we be kinder and gentler to each other and be proud when somebody else accomplishes something okay. well, i agree with That didn't cost you anything, folks. That's a freebie. For more tips, contact me on Facebook. (laughs) All right, Corey, you and I, when I uh, uh, contacted you about this conversation today, I had one thing on my mind, and that's the resurgence or the uh, uh, rebirth or the revival a full crime magazine. I think when Terry Walker, publisher of American Cooner and Full Cry, made the announcement that the magazines would no longer be uh, published, you could hear the wind go out of the coon hunting sport, especially for older guys like me that literally cut their teeth on those magazines and it acts they actually were the lifeblood of the sport for many many years and uh so i think there was just like a collective you know oh, well, you know it's an end of an era and uh but all of a sudden we got new hope <laughs> because uh there's going to be a full cry yes, they say, in October. And from what I can see on social media and all, you're going to be a part of that. Yes, and, I am. And I'm excited about that. And I'll tell you why, and I don't want to blow your head up here too big. But when you were with UKC, I read your articles, and you're a good writer. And, and well, you know, I like to write, and I've always encouraged people to write. My son is a journalism major, and uh, he has a very responsible job in a large corporation, and uh, he's in in the public relations field. And uh, back when he was going to school, you know, he said they taught us that we need to write something every day, you know, write something every day. So I tried to, you know, do that and of course making posts on social media is a form of writing if you get long-winded like i do but at any rate you're a good writer you're a sharp guy Uh, you're a houndsman and i think it sounds like a good deal to me what say you what do you think about this thing well i appreciate the kind words steve you know i i have the experience that uh that Jason and Danny Dewey were looking for uh, for content creators uh, with the new revitalized full cry that that's coming to a mailbox near you. And um, 
you know, I, I have a lot of experience uh, because of the work that, that I had done. And, and like you, I have written for Coonhound Bloodlines and, and a number of different um, tree dog publications specifically. So I haven't been in the writing the writing spectrum for, for a long while now. It's, it's been going on uh, probably seven or eight years since I've had anything published. Uh, but, you know, when, when I heard about uh, Full Cry and how it was going away, you know, I, I felt a lot the same way that you did. Um, that was a major part of uh, the history of our sport that was going away. And when I heard that Danny and Jason were stepping in to, to prevent that from happening, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate enough that I actually met Jason and Danny uh, while I was at UKC, specifically uh, when I worked at the Heartland Classic event in 2015 up in Mineral Point, Wisconsin, which that's an event you have a lot of experience with, Steve. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that was actually, I believe Jason and I figured it out, that was his first trip to the Heartland Classic, and um, we just happened to meet there, and, and I knew them by name and, and kind of knew of them. So, uh, you know, I had a good feeling going into offering my services to them and man they just jumped on it they were they were so encouraging and and they welcomed me with open arms so i'm really looking forward to the opportunity and i hope that everybody else that uh, is going to be participating through subscriptions for full cry is going to find my writing enjoyable to read. Well, I'm sure they will, Corey. I have no doubt about that. And I was really encouraged to see that you are taking on that role. And uh, because I think, uh, you know, there's a <laughs> uh, there's this, this song that's sweeping the Internet now. I think he got like uh, 12 million views in six days was this Oliver Anthony with this living in uh, with this uh uh, rich men north of Richmond song. I don't know if you're familiar with that oh, yeah. or not, but <laughs> but there's a line in that song, and and I mentioned this I think uh, uh, in a recent podcast with Jason about you know living in the new world with an old soul, and mm-hmm. uh, you know I I think uh, that definitely describes me. But for a, a man your age, I think it describes you to a degree as well. Would you agree with that? Well, I think it's going to resonate with anybody that appreciates an older style to life, you know, and and mm-hmm. and appreciates tradition, appreciates uh, time honored activities like coon hunting, for example. Um, I just I just think that when you talk about when you talk about the new and the old. Um, you know, there's there's three different perspectives you can come at it from. You know, you you can be a traditionalist, you can be a contemporary, or you can live in, in the here and now. And actually, uh, the article that I wrote for the October issue of Full Cry is gonna is gonna talk about that a little bit. Um, but we have to realize that we're in the here and now, and if we want to make a difference in the future or if we want to change the past, so to speak, then we need to do it now. Right. Oh yeah. I agree. Couldn't agree more. Uh, but you know, this begs a question and this is something I ran 
by you there earlier when uh, we were talking about this is that, you know, do does the resurgence of a How magazine or uh, such as Phil, Folk Ride, does it really deserve a second chance with the Coon Hunters? You know, as I saw, and I'll be kind of frank here, okay, uh, as I saw Folk Ride over the years, it changed. It kind of morphed into more of a squirrel hunting and a little bit of big game hunting. There was a time when Folk Ride was very heavily coon hunting. But it also had a lot of the Western big game element to its uh, uh, editorial. And, uh, you know, in today's world, young people are so used now to get getting their information off the Internet that uh, readers – and believe me, you know, I, I published or, or I wrote a book, and I uh, I know, I often told my wife, I said, I wish I'd written this book 20 years earlier because I would have sold a heck of a lot more copies <laughs> because people were more attuned to reading a hard, uh, you know, a, a hard copy volume each month. But what... You know, do you think, obviously you do, you've taken this in, and, and for the sake of discussion, you know, do you think that these magazines really are going to play, uh, well, of course, Coonhound Bloodlines is still there, thankfully. I'm glad that they are. Prohound magazine's still being published, although Prohound is more now uh, simply a, a, a standings, uh, you know, a day, data and information type magazine more than than a, a reader but do you think that these that full cry really deserves a second chance well steve i think when you talk about dog publications specifically i think that it depends on one thing and i think that depends on the motives or the agenda or or just the the desire behind it to make it happen right so Speaking from my experience with Coonhound Bloodlines, for example, um, Coonhound Bloodlines is a publication that's maintained by a registry. So it's published on a monthly basis with with specifics to that relate to that registry. Yes. And it just so happens that it's a tree dog publication. Right. When you look when you look at a publication like Full Crime, the passion of the people comes through those pages. You have people that are writing about their real life experiences. You have hardworking men that are advertising what they believe to be a stud dog that could, you know, benefit somebody down the road, not necessarily the entire country, but just benefit somebody. Uh, and they have a lot of pride in that, you know, and they, and they like seeing their, their stud dog ad in, in, in a printed publication. So it's that essence that's going to that's going to make Full Cry successful and continue its success into the future. Um, but the bigger point that we need to address is, is how are millennials and and even to a bigger degree Gen Z type people 
how are they going to fit into the picture? Because obviously these two generations are going to be the cornerstone for uh, paid publications moving forward. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and millennials are kind of, uh, they're kind of looked down upon because they're considered digital natives and digital natives is a term that's used loosely just to describe uh, millennials as being the first generation that, that was actively raised with computers and the Mm -hmm. internet Mm -hmm. access to to media online and stuff like that. Um, One interesting point that I think that I would make as a millennial is um, millennials have a heavy concentration to nostalgia for example, um, you know, there are plenty of people that, you know, they maintain baseball card collections or, or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that I don't think that magazines are, are above that kind of reproach as far as nostalgia is concerned. Um, so but but uh, I kind of digress there. I guess my point is. Millennials are so consumed with digital media and younger people are always looking for an alternative outlet. And I think that print publications can do that for a lot of these people that are in the younger generations. And I don't think that we're seeing that that resurgence yet, but I think it's coming. Well, I do too. I, I think, and one of the things that I've, uh, noticed since i began this podcasting journey it's hard to believe that i've done over 200 episodes altogether since i did did the first one back there uh with houndsman xp but there's a real thirst or hunger whichever you choose for information especially when it comes to training uh and uh problem solving with dogs uh and also, there is a, a thirst for the history. Uh, I think some of my best reviews or messages that I've gotten over the years have been when I dipped back and talked about a hound of the past, talked about a hunter of the past, um, talked about how things were as opposed to how they are now, you know, without getting into this, you know, the old dogs were better than the new, these dogs. Well, no. But, you know, I think there is definitely a a thirst out there for information. Uh, guys that are a little older enjoy the ability to sit down at the end of the day in a comfortable chair with a nice lamp beside you and a glass of tea or whatever you choose and and emerge yourself in a story about hunting you know i have these old volumes here and you do too in fact you sent me that nice dust cover for for one of of my books uh but you know and i love to go back and read those whole stories and they're timeless yes i go back over them and read them again and again and again and my favorite all-time book was one called 30, uh, 20 Years Hunting and Fishing in the Great Smoky Mountains. And that thing is so dog-eared, and the corners are actually <laughs> worn off on the cover, you know, just from hands holding it, you know. So, um, but anyway, 
Uh, I'm going to grab a sip of water here, but where do you uh, go ahead with your thought on that, Corey? Well, I might I might just add that one one thing that we have to consider when we're looking at the the need of print publication is uh, the integrity that comes with print. So things that are written in print, they don't just magically appear on the pages. There's a long process that's involved with ma- the manufacturing of a magazine or, or the manufacturing of a book, as, as you would well understand being a, a published author yourself. Um, that takes time. And that means that, that the thoughts of the author uh, can change just through just through a, a process of uh, some sort of editorial process or um, you know planning or you know strategic marketing or whatever. Uh, so the integrity of written print is much more so than what you're going to get off an internet-based media source because not that that stuff isn't being edited and isn't being supervised as far as what's being published but it, it's just the rate in which it can be published is so much faster which, mm-hmm. which does not allow well it does allow for a lot of mistakes to be made oh absolutely and i an old grammarian like me it was drilled into me my grandmother was a teacher in a one-room school and my my folks really pounded me over grammar as a kid yeah. <laughs> and when i see grammatical errors in speech nowadays and it seems like, well what what's the big deal what's the big deal you understand what i'm saying why does it matter <laughs> but it does to me and and when i l- read major news articles and see grammatical errors and misspelling and typos and all that stuff. It, it drives me a little crazy, but I know it doesn't bother most people like it does me. I, I'm a little anal when it comes to the, that kind of stuff. Well, you know, I think we touched on, uh, Corey. Uh, I guess the the thing that would speak the most to me right now, and I fully get that we you, you need to pursue – an editorial or a method of delivering information that resonates with today's hunter, with the younger guy. Because coon hunting and the treehound sports really are, it, at the mainstream, the, they're young people's sports because they're physical. Uh, just, you know, but there's also that carryover of once you get past that competition age. Uh, you still love the hound. You love the sound of the hound. Uh, you love uh, the walking into the tree. I ask coon hunters every once in a while, I say, have you ever walked into a tree, to a tree dog, that you didn't have a great sense of expectation and kind of just a little, little, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, adrenaline rush there? And to the man or woman, they'll say no. I mean, every time, <laughs> you know, unless you happen to have a slick tree, <laughs> and then it becomes a chore. But, but no, I, you know, I'm rambling here too because there's so many things here that I, I'd like to to throw into the mix in this discussion, but. I think heritage for me is one of the most important. Now, what I see the most, the most important 
thing I'm looking for in Full Cry is the editorial, the stories, the uh, communication from different hunters from different walks of life, and to be able to sit down and read that. You know, when you get to my stage in life, you've worked, you have everything you want. I mean, no. Am I wealthy? No. Am I, you know, uh, do I have a yacht and a and an island in the Caribbean? No. But I have all the things I want. So what I want now is a peaceful home, company of my wife, good friends that I can correspond with. And when things slow down and I, I've got time on my hands, to sit down with a good book or a good story or thumb through the pages, you know, of a, a good uh, magazine. And that's what I'm looking forward to most. Now, for me, but it, it's a heritage thing because I, you know, I learned to read basically on Full Cry. Uh, I'm not kidding. I mean, you know, of course, I was a voracious reader from the time I was a little kid. I read the cereal box at the breakfast table, you know. And and then I began, you know, O.L. Beckham in Full Cry Magazine was my hero. I loved, loved, loved his stories. And he just had some of the best. And I'm I'm hoping that Danny will, will dig out some of those and republish them. And uh, it's interesting, Corey, while we're talking about full cry here, and I, I pulled out a, I have a lot of scrapbooks and, and picture albums and things back before the days of digital cameras. And I'm looking, and, and I'm, I have in my hand here the first article that I ever submitted for publication. Wow. And it was in uh, June of 1971. So, and that may not sound like so long ago, but that's 52 years ago. And it was called Ramblings of a Transplanted Coon Hunter. And I was stationed (laughs) in Japan at the time. And I was, I was feeling it really hard. You know, I really wanted to get back home, you know, and, uh, but, uh, and then later in December, I wrote one called Visiting with Mr. Kidd about Isaiah Kidd, the old plot breeder. And, and, but it's cool here too that I think the only time my dad ever wrote an article for a magazine, uh, Actually, he wrote two small articles, and each one of them was published by uh, Full Cry Magazine by Mrs. Walker. And I can remember, and in fact, I still have the letters that she wrote back to my dad thanking him for those oh. articles. And that was in 1971 also. He wrote one how called How a Coon Hunter Was Born, and that was in... Uh, May of 1971, and he also submitted an article called Hunting with Curs 40 Years Ago. Now, that was 40 years before 1971, so that would have been 1931. So, Full Cry, you know, that heritage uh, factor there is very important to me. 
uh, and and I know from talking, and you would know much more than I have I do because I'm sure you've been in meetings and so forth with Danny and and Jason and all that. You know, I know that they want to include the history in the new full cry, and I'm just real happy about that. Yeah, you know, and and I was actually really honored this morning uh, when I woke up and I rolled over and I started leafing through my my phone and my Facebook. Uh, I actually saw a post that Danny had made, um, you know, kind of sharing about the October issue coming out. And she included an excerpt from the article that I had written. Yeah. And and she she went on to describe about well, I guess I guess I should probably read the excerpt first, but the excerpt says we live in a unique time between walking with Wick and talking with Fielder. And uh, you know, I kind of, I kind of go on and I describe how the old ways and the new are starting to, to starting to mix, you know. Mm. And, uh, and I, I was so honored to, to read her post about that and how that totally encompassed the the ideology behind the resurgence of full cry and how that's the end goal. That is the goal that they're trying to achieve. Is they're they're not trying to replace anything they're not trying to rewrite history uh they're trying to mesh um the past and the future in the here and now and that's yeah. completely what the point of my article is that i wrote and i'm just really happy that um that i could write something that they can align themselves with and that shows sure. me that I understand their goals moving forward. Absolutely. Well, I would never, ever want anyone out there under the sound of our voices today uh, to think that I'm trying to direct the you know, direction or, you know, give them direction on full cry. I told Jason early on when he told me he was interested in continuing full cry and, uh, and all, I told him, I said, I will help you at any in any way that I possibly can at any time. So just feel free. But, you know, I know that they're going to bring a freshness. And guys like you are going to bring a freshness to that publication. Because as I started to say earlier, you know, it had just rubber meets road. It, Full Cry had kind of lost a lot of its audience. Because, and not that the Curdog people don't need a, a, a magazine, and I'm sure they'll continue to have one with Full Cry. And, and I read the Cur writers, and I enjoyed them. I really did. I'm not a squirrel hunter, per se. And so I longed for more coon hunting. I longed for more big game. I think you're going to find that they're going to try to incorporate all of that into their efforts uh, with Full Cry, and and I hope so. And uh, you know that will be a big job. To you can't satisfy everybody. Um, I know when I was editor of Coonham Bloodlines magazine, I made enemies when I didn't put some guy's pic- dog's picture on the cover of a special breed issue where I had several good pictures and I had to make a choice of which one to use. And when I didn't choose a particular dog, then that made the owner 
upset with me. That goes with the territory, you know. You yeah, can't absolutely. have everybody's dog on the cover. So, you know, but those kind of things. But, uh, you know, having been at Coonham Bloodlines, and we talked about that, when I went there, Coonham Bloodlines was a house organ, which, the, you know, it basically was the official publication of UKC. Each month it was full of UKC's policies, you know, and, and that very, very little uh, to read. It was a good reference manual, and uh, it probably had a listing of new champions and things like that. But when we decided, and, and, this, and the number of subscribers was one-tenth of the number that Full Cry had at that time, yeah, or American Cooner for that matter, and a decision was made, and I'm, I don't know anybody there that was more that pushed any harder for us to have a a good magazine that people would enjoy reading. And so, you know, I was pushing from that for that. Plus, the other senior staff were supportive of that idea. And I and and Fred Miller, our president at that time, he certainly was supportive. So we set out, you know, to build a better mousetrap. And you know, I can remember when, you know, we hit twenty thousand subscribers. We had a celebration, and I, if I'm not mistaken, we were probably zeroing in on thirty thousand when I left. And you know, it's fun to build something successful. But how did we do that? We did it by putting something in front of the reader every month that they enjoyed reading. The one thing, the challenge I think will be for Full Cry will be to get those uh, advertisers back because, and I think that there's a lot of guys missing the boat with their dogs and not advertising in the in the print publications because there's so much information on the internet you get lost in the shuffle you get lost in this sea of things but a nice well laid out ad you know and where you can sit there and read it and absorb the pedigree and look at the photo and read the remarks there's an old joke about the guy that was going to sell his dog in full cry. Maybe you heard it, Corey. He was. He said, "I wrote this ad here. I want you you to listen to it." He's speaking to his wife. They were at the table after supper, and he wrote this. You know, uh, beautiful hound, tri-colored, big mouth, hard tree dog, hard hunter, not ill or fussy in any way. You know, yada 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 yada. And he stopped, and she said, what's the matter? And he said, man, I've been looking for a dog like that all my life. I think I'll just keep him. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the first time I've heard that one. <laughs> well, see, but, yeah. one, one thing that, that I might reiterate that I, that I already kind of touched on is um, the distinct advantage that Full Cry has is that it represents the hunters. And any any registry can say that UKC, PKC, Pro Sport, whoever you want to to put in that position, but 
Full cry is never going to be a business decision. Full cry is the business. And yeah, much much like the the vendors that would be advertising in these publications and much like the stud dog owners that should be advertising in these publications. Um, you know, full cry is, has the lifeblood of the people. on it. Um, That's an excellent yeah. point, Corey. And I want to speak to that in just a minute. Yeah, you go ahead. No, I just, I just, you know, in, in the years that I was involved as an, as an editor and a writer, you know, for those magazines, I was employed by the, the registry that was publishing that magazine. Therefore, I was somewhat, and I won't say overly, but somewhat restrained in my thoughts and comments because I knew that it might not be popular, uh, you know, at the staff meeting. It might not be popular with, you know, the powers that be. And I don't, you know, the thing about uh, Danny uh, as editor, she doesn't have those kind of restraints, you know, and I I fully look for the knowing Danny and Jason as I do, and I don't know them long time, but I've known them long enough to know the kind of people they are, family first probably God first in their church. They're people of faith. They are family people. They have four children. They are hounds people. Jason has proven himself as being an excellent, excellent representative for the company he works for. And people, you know, he's a go-to guy when people have a problem. They want to talk to Jason. So I know that the basis is there for just a really good publication. But I, I think that they will be the kind of uh, publishers that would say, if this needs to be said in the realm of uh, legislation or ethics or sportsmanship or, or uh, you know, care of your dogs or Anything that might be a little controversial, I think they'll have a strong editorial about it. And I think that's good. And I think that's what people like. You know, I don't, I don't, I didn't ever like to be thought of as a guy that just followed the company line all the time, you know, because sometimes my views differed from what yeah. the, the views of the company. So I don't know. I mean, maybe we're, <laughs> we're creating well, uh, problems the, for them here, but these are, this is just my thoughts. Open mic, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Well, and, and to, to flesh out your point a little bit, you know, let's look at a guy like John Wick, you know, John made somewhat of a career from training Kuna. And John was a very eloquent writer and John wasn't afraid to put his thoughts to paper. Yeah. And um, a great you know, writer and a great yeah. man. And, and whether you agreed with his the specifics of what he was writing about, his training approaches or, or what have you, or his opinions, he put them to paper and he put them to publication. Yeah. And, and he signed at, it, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And look at look at the legacy that he's left behind. Oh, tremendous. Tremendous, and he, and he never had anything refraining him from just his mind. People respected yeah. 
Oh, and that, absolutely. That's exactly what this is, what this resurgence and full cry is. It's an opportunity for everyone to have their voice heard. It's an opportunity for guys much like John Wick to arise and make a name for themselves and and they don't have those kind of limitations put on them. This is a great this is a great beginner's block for anybody that has any kind of inclination to be a writer or um, to be a photographer or to showcase their artwork or anything like that. Sure. Yeah, there, it's a great opportunity for budding writers, and as you say, gra- graphic artists and photographers and, and painters and, and whatever, you know. But, you know, I, I believe, and I say this in faith, <laughs> for our country, I believe things are starting to turn Despite if you read all the gloom and doom in the news, I believe there's a resurgence in this country of people that are are simply saying, I'm not going to accept the things uh, as they are, and I'm going to be part of the, uh, of, of make, I don't want to borrow Trump's saying, but of, of, you know, getting my country back, so to speak. Now, whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, whatever that means to you, that's fine. But I think we can all collectively agree that we're not real happy with the way things are going in so many areas in our country. Well, I think here is an opportunity. Now, guys, here's where the sales pitch comes in. And I'm going to give you a sales pitch on this because I believe that's necessary. And besides, I had 10 years of sales training before I went to UKC, and I just can't wait to share some of it with you. <laughs> but <laughs> I firmly believe if Full Cry is to be successful, those of you who see its worth and count me as one of those who really does see the the value in having this print publication each month, you gotta subscribe. You got to stand up. You got to be part of it. You know, I used to get so frustrated. I didn't show it, hopefully, but many, many major events, especially the Grand American or maybe at Autumn Oaks, I would be in the CNH publishing booth with Terry Walker. And Terry would bring stacks of back issues of the magazine, usually, and, and a lot of current issues. The, even the back issues would only be maybe one issue back. And people would walk by and say, you got any magazines? How much is this magazine? Well, that's a sample for you. But, the, you know, if you'd like to subscribe, uh, this is how much it is each month. Well, I just yeah, I just want something to read. And they would, you know, take those free samples by the hundreds and walk on by. And most of them never took the time to subscribe. Now, that's not an indictment against them. Maybe they didn't like what they saw, maybe, you know. But I used to get frustrated. I said, every year I see the same guys come by here and pick up two or three copies of the magazine, and they won't buy it. 
and it's way less than the cost of a pack of cigarettes a day, uh, you know, a, a week or a month, really. What you pay for a month of the magazine is less than a, than a pack of cigarettes today. So, you know, that's my little pet peeve with people uh, that won't subscribe, and I probably just made a lot of people mad and they won't subscribe <laughs> just because I said what I did. But seriously, you know, to see this thing really go and to be really nice is for us to get behind it and pay the subscription. It's so easy. I'm sure they're going to have it so easy. You can do it while you're out there listening for that blue tick to get that track warmed up, you know. But let's do it. Let's get behind this magazine and let's uh, let's make it successful again. You know, I, I'm really excited about this, and I'm going to tell everybody I know and everybody, you know, that comes by my booth at, at Autumn Oaks or wherever it is, and I hope uh, UKC will forgive me. But competition is good, and I don't think they have anything to fear in terms of competition from Full Cry. Uh, you know, why do they build one car lot right next door to another one, you know? It's uh, people get in the mood for a car, you know. So I, I don't know. I'm rambling here, but I'm passionate, uh, Corey. I, I really do hope this thing goes. I'm really looking forward to uh, what you write uh, for us each month. And I'm going to try to squeeze out something every once in a while myself and uh, and invite anybody that's listening that's got g- good stories and, and – uh, uh, you know, we like to read about other people's uh, uh, victories and their defeats. That <laughs> makes our, our problems not seem so bad. Well, Steve, if I might build on that point, um, you know, you and I are only only two people, and, and two people isn't much, but there, there are a lot of other uh, quality content creators that are on the team that comprises Full Cry Magazine. And there's going to be there's going to be a lot of great viewpoints coming to the magazine, and there's going to be a lot of good content to consume through this print publication, but also through a lot of the more modern means of, of communication that Full Cry is going to be invoking oh, yeah. um, with uh, maintaining the magazine. Um, and one point I might just want to end on here with this is. Uh, Kudos to Terry Walker for for maintaining oh. the frame we needed for this. You know, yeah, uh, Terry, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, when I thing. talk about the editorial of uh, Full Cry going toward, uh, you know, more the maybe the squirrel dogs and so forth, that's because that's what he had to work with. That's yeah. what people were sending him. The coon hunters, you know, weren't sending the materials the way they used to. And all, and it's all on us. The onus is on us. Right. You know, I, I mean, I can cite so many examples in my career where the registry's bent over backwards to try to do things for the coon hunters, but the coon hunters never seem to realize that these things require some kind of a commitment from you you know there we tend to think and when i say coon hunters i'm speaking right straight to myself because i am one 
you know, we seem to think that there's a Santa Claus up there that just <laughs> drops all of these things down upon us. If there's a benefit hunt, all these dog boxes and lights and and dog food and all that stuff, it just there's a Santa Claus that provided all. And those some hardworking guys you alluded to earlier, you know, that's in business to feed his family. You know, is hoping that by making this donation and helping this event, that it will draw attention to his product, and he can sell more product, and then he can buy more groceries. Yeah, you know, and that's the way it works. That's the way the world works. The big picture, you know, and we have to contribute. We each one have to do our part, uh, and I can't say that enough. And I, you know, I'm just, and I am, I'm, it's great to, to know that (laughs) the best thing about all this, I don't have to be a part of doing anything except buying my subscription and sending an article every once in a while along, writing to my breed columnist, you know, and telling what that old plug plot of mine's been doing for the last month. And, and well, you know, and, and be part of the community. But otherwise, man, I don't have to sweat the deadlines. I don't have to sweat the rising cost of paper and ink. Uh, and all the things that go into that. So we need yeah. to think about, you know, do we want these things? Yeah, we do. I don't think there's a coon hunter out there that would, you know, when I was with PKC, when I'd pull into an event, those guys would jerk the handles off of my truck doors. You got the newest pro hound? You got the newest pro hound? Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, we we all have to chip in and be part of the process. Well, and I don't know if you've crunched the numbers lately, but... Um, if you look at the price of a subscription to Full Cry or even Coonhound Bloodlines for that matter, um, it's probably going to be less than the money you would have spent entering your dog at an event this weekend or last weekend. And yeah. you didn't even win, and you didn't even win your cast. You know? <laughs> exactly. The cost of an entry fee and you can receive a nice publication each month in your mailbox. And I can tell you what advertising in a magazine like full cry is probably a lot cheaper than paying a stud fee on rack of willie right now i'm just (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure jr gray will appreciate that that's a little free publicity for willie yeah that's right what a dog what a dog yeah i know that you know in my passion sometimes you know i'm a print media guy i've been involved in that for so many years and and I love it, and I still do. And I and I was saddened when I heard about the uh, uh, the demise of the magazines. But uh, then, when I heard also heard about the, the resurgence here, I was very very happy, and, and I am continually be very hopeful that the coon hunters and tree dog enthusiasts out there, whether you're squirrel dog, bobcat hunter, bear hunter, hog hunter, well, I don't guess hog is tree game, but I'm sure that'll be welcome as well uh it is uh you know uh it's it's just uh something that uh, we all need to get behind absolutely for sure, for sure. well cory 
we have been at it an hour and 10 minutes. Can you believe people have been sitting listening to us? They must have boring jobs like, you know, my buddy Keston riding a lawn tractor all day. That's when he listens. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I thumb through these scrapbooks that I have, and I see these articles. Uh, l- let me read this one. This is from How a Coon Hunter Was Born by Holman Fielder. Dixon County, Tennessee is approximately 35 miles west of Nashville if you travel Interstate 40. I was born January of 1920 on a farm in the southern part of the county about one and a half miles below the Forks of Piney. I-40 took part of the home place farm when it was constructed. This was is a beautiful country with spring-fed creeks. It's a hardwood country with lots of hickory, beech, and several species of oak. My earliest desires to fo- desire to follow the hounds started about 1925. My dad didn't have hunting dogs at that time, but the fellow across the river from us kept fox and coon hounds. The fur market was good at that time, and the pressure was really on the coon. Our neighbor, Wash Work, had an old hound named Joe that had quit running fox and began treeing coon. I know nothing of Joe's breeding, but he was a real good-looking hound, about 60 pounds, light red with white points and a white blaze. His hair was a bit heavier than most purebred hounds of today. Old Joe was allowed to run loose at nights that Wash didn't feel up to, to a coon hunt. Old Joe would check the river bottom to see if a coon had walked. When he found a track, he would trail it out and tree. The next morning, his owner would notice that Old Joe wasn't home, and he knew he would find Joe treed. Sometimes he found him three or four miles away. Many nights, I would be awakened by the mellow ball voice of old Joe trailing a coon up the river. This really excited me, and I just couldn't go back to sleep until old Joe's voice faded away. The next morning, I would tell my dad about listening to old Joe and ask him to find out if Wash caught the coon. So a coon hunter was born. I started night hunting at the age of 10 with my brother Phil, who was two years older. This past season made 40 years that I've followed tree dogs, and I still enjoy this great sport. That was my dad, the man that instilled in me a love for coon dogs, Corey. But it was stories like this that I read over and over in the pages of Full Cry that really seeded it down deep in my heart, you know, and in my in my psyche, you know. And I hope that that's what this new full cry will do uh, for Any, hunters, and I'm I'm sure it will. I'm confident. Sounds like we just went to church. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to pass the plate? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, I tell you what. I mean, I'm a, I'm a romanticist. I always have been, and always loved a good story. And of course, I'm partial to that one because my dad wrote it. But you know, uh, there's so many uh, good writers out there, 
and I see those, uh, uh, you know, those, uh, what do we say, hints of greatness in these posts that I read, you know, on social media and all. And I'm going to encourage, anytime I see a guy that I think he can write pretty well or a lady, I'm going to encourage him, you know, to to submit to Fulcrum because I know that the, they'll be, you know, open and you'll be working with the content. They'll probably go across your desk. Uh, but uh, it, it's an exciting time for me. It really is. That's great. And, you know, and in and, and closing here, I, I, you know, having heard that story and, and, and heard, you know, what you had to say about your dad's writing and stuff like that and, and full cry as a whole, you know, I had a, I had a very smart professor um, when I was in college that, um, that said to me, you know, there's one thing that separates all human beings from all other living creatures on this earth. And it's, and it's the essence of the story. So we are storytelling animals, so to speak. Yeah. And we all have a story. That's what, that's what makes us human. And, yep. and, and even, even guys like your dad had, have stories to share that, that still resonate today with, with everybody who's going to hear it. And we have the avenues to share those stories and we have the avenues to make our voices heard and we need to support the people that are behind those avenues and, and encourage them, you know, whether that's through monetary uh, support or by helping create content or what have you. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just encourage anybody that, that thinks they may have an aptitude uh, for writing or any, anybody that thinks they can contribute in any way. Um, reach out to Jason and Danny and, and see where where you fit in in this mechanism that is bullcrap. Absolutely. Well, they're on Facebook, and I guess it's it's just I guess you can just search Fullcry on Facebook to get in touch, can't you, Corey? Yeah. You, so, yeah. yeah. So uh, Fullcry is maintaining a Facebook page at the moment. Um, they have set up uh, kind of a temporary. Uh, website that's allowing them to take um, new subscriptions to Full Cry. Uh, they are going to honor um, a certain amount of uh, existing subscriptions that were already in place. But um, but you can you can go to Full Cry. I think it's fullcrymag.com uh, to subscribe, uh, or you can contact uh, the Full Full Cry publication team through their Facebook page directly. Awesome. Awesome. Guys, do it. Don't think about it. When you uh, click the button on this, uh, uh, and don't do it if you're right driving down the road, <laughs> but do it. Get that subscription, uh, and, uh, you know, you will be doing something for the pos- uh, for posterity in this great sport that we uh, that we love so much. Corey, I'm going to cut you loose for one more time, but i got to get a promise from you that you'll be back. I want you to, after we get this new magazine out, and it's in everybody's hands, and we'll have more things to talk about because I really am excited about this, and I want to I want to share it with my listeners as much as I can. I will rem- uh, remind the listeners that uh, W Hunting Supply is the company that makes this podcast possible each uh, week. 
and I want to thank those folks out there. They do such a good job. I don't feel a bit bad about recommending them because I know they're going to do a great job for you. Anything you need, hound apparel, hound hunting equipment, especially in the electronic field, uh, they've got it and they service what they sell. Uh, I do want to thank my good friend Mark Zepp. Mark Zepp, Z-E-P-P dot com, has been supplying the uh, Zepp's lifetime coon squallers that we've been giving away weekly, and we'll continue to do that. We just had our winners uh, spin, we call it. We put the names on the on the wheel of names and spin it each Monday night at 630. Uh, we just had our winners spin of the 12 previous winners, and the winner of the Wick Coat, the $100 value, Wick Deluxe Coat. It's very much like the I say Wick, listen to me. We were talking about Wick, and I did that on the other day. It's the Zep uh, coat, which is very, very similar, but better in many ways than the uh, Wick coat that everyone loves so much. So Mark Zep, anyway, our our winner uh, was Mark Miller there in, in North Carolina. So we'll continue to do that, but we want to thank Big Mark uh, for his uh, help with this podcast as well. I do have copies of Gone to the Dogs, A Coon Hunter's Journey. If you'd like one, they are available. You can get it through DU Supply and other sources, or you can go directly online to stevefielderbooks.com. That's going to wrap it up for this episode I've gone to the dogs. Uh, I will see many of you, I hope, at Autumn Oaks, which will be, uh, by the time this comes out, it'll be only about a week and a half away. So we'll be in the media center there near the UKC uh, headquarters. Stop on by. We'll get you uh, recorded there if you've got a good story to tell. Corey, what say you? You got anything to add, buddy? Not much, Steve. Let's just get hunting. That's right. We need to, you guys, if you're going to Oaks, you better get those dogs tuned up. <laughs> it's probably a little late to start, but anything's better than nothing. But they've got a great entry. I saw, I was interested in the plots, uh, of course, because we have a plot, and I think there are nine plots participating in the dual champion uh, hunt on Thursday night. And then I think there's a combination of either 10 or 11 plots that are hunting in the actual autumn oaks hunt uh, on on friday and saturday night so it's going to be a big one they've got a lot of entries and hopefully the weather's going to cool a little bit and uh, i'll look forward to seeing you guys then Corey, you have a good week you too steve and best of luck at oaks all right i appreciate it folks if anybody asks you where's steve fielder Tell him he's gone to Autumn Oaks with Nub and Moore. They're just out there walking around and uh, wishing that they'd been gone to the dogs. <laughs> That's it, folks. See you next week.